Yo, what's up? Dr. Swole here, MD, bodybuilder, back with another interview in my Ask the Expert series. Today, I'm joined by Jeff Alberts, who is the infamous 3D MJ, godfather of natural bodybuilding. He's an amazing resource and coach. He's been competing for 33 years. He has two pro cards in natural bodybuilding, and most recently placed sixth at the WNBF World Championships at the age of 48. Today, we'll be talking about his 2019 contest prep season and picking up some practical tips and advice on sustainability. I've learned a lot from Jeff. He's a great resource. Let's get right into it. Uh, I, I just wanted to say that out of all the bodybuilders online, Jeff, I, you're the one guy that I follow most closely on uh, Instagram stories. Oh man, you're too nice. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, this guy's a an amazing resource and today we're going to talk about your 2019 prep Jeff so first of all I just sort of wanted to let you open up start off with sort of when your prep started the general course and the shows that you competed in okay yes yeah, so this this might take a while because it, okay. yeah. it was a it was a long prep but yeah we'll see how, how well we can do here so it started back in September of 2018 and it ended in November of 2019. So we're talking like a 14 month prep. And I know a lot of people are gonna look at that or hear that and think, oh my gosh, that's crazy. How did this guy prep for so long? But it was more like a lifestyle than it was like a linear hardcore approach. So it was, you know, having some phases in there where, you know, holidays, you know, birthdays, anniversaries, you know, date nights with the wife, like. I partaked in a lot of those life events and that meant, you know, deviating from your diet here and there. So I tried to stay as balanced as possible through the process, just from past history for doing this, you know, like you said, for shit, I've been competing since the early nineties and I used to have that hardcore mentality, hardcore approach, you know, back when I was younger and it wasn't always, um, conducive with life it, it kind of meant like sacrificing relationships and things like that like you know that sacrifice to win at all costs so it just wasn't uh you know let's say the healthiest lifestyle to partake in so this this prep I want to just basically kind of just not so much coast but pick my spots when to push and when to pull back so it was kind of like more of a, a like I said a lifestyle approach to to prep Mm -hmm. um, but it did have its moments where I had to dig and uh, I did have stretches where I was was that hardcore bodybuilder um, but it had plenty of you know stretches too where it's like you know I didn't want my, my wife hating me let's say you know because I was just so focused on the prep itself so that was basically the length of it kind of the approach and style of it and we can always dive deeper into the nuts and bolts you know in between you know the timeline there but but as far as the shows, I did five competitive shows and two guest posing. So seven shows in total. Um, the guest posings I still took very seriously. You know, I just kind of factor, hey, people are paying money to see these shows. I don't want to show up not in shape. I don't want to, you know, go light on my posing or anything like that. So I made sure to peak the best I could for those. So in a sense, it was seven competitive shows. That's how I kind of approached it. Mm -hmm. um, it started in July of 2019. It was my first show was the California Muscle Mayhem. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of ended at the WMBF Worlds, like you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And I did three WMBF shows and I did one NGA Pro show and I did, did an MPC show. 
which is a non-tested show, um, as a natural bodybuilder, and I still held my own there. So um, overall, that was a it was a fantastic season. Like like you said, at 48, um, I definitely you know as far as my expectations, I definitely I think uh, exceeded them. So I was pretty happy with how everything turned out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you looked amazing compared even compared to uh, like your prior prior season. Yeah, I take pride in that. Like, I take pride in the fact that, hey, at 48, um, I proved to myself, and I think I proved to a lot of people, that you can still make progress, you know, deep into your 40s. Yeah, sure, not as fast as progress as it once was, like, when I was in my 20s. But, I mean, just, you know, being able to improve, it's, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, because a lot of people think, like, that at 40 years, you know, at the 40-year mark, people think, like, your testosterone just drops and you can't build muscle anymore, which is so untrue so it's just kind of a, a nice a nice uh token you know as far as outside of the, the shows like hey look look what i could still do at this age and i'm gonna still prove to people when i'm 50 i'm gonna get a little better yeah awesome um so yeah just to go a little bit more into the nuts and bolts just for the listeners um jeff recently did an interview with uh, steve hall on revive stronger so uh, I apologize for any overlap, but I just want to have some of the basic stuff here covered. What was your starting and ending weight and sort of the rate of weight loss and did that change at different parts of prep? Sure. So yeah, I started out about 203, I think it was, pounds. And I ended, I think the lowest weight I saw was a 168. Uh, but my stage weight was anywhere between 170, 172 for most of those shows. Um, the rate of loss, like I said, wasn't really linear. Um, like the first, like from September 2018 till around December of 2018, I more or less dropped 10 pounds just by cleaning up my diet a little bit. Um, and kind of just, you know, you know, when you first start out, you could lose a lot of water weight and bloat. So the first 10 pounds, it was more or less pretty easy. Um, then after that, I took a little bit of a diet break through the holidays gained a few pounds back and then in January of this year it's when I started to basically kind of get more in that prep mindset mindset and for me I typically shoot for about a half a pound a week um, what I've learned through past preps like anything more than that um, my physique usually um, is smaller like back in 2009 when um, you know I was shooting for that pound pound and a half rate of loss every week I got on stage at about 160 pounds mm -hmm. and in 2011, I changed the approach. I extended the diet out longer. So instead of prepping for, you know, 28 weeks, I think it was in 2009 with not too many diet breaks um, in, in not too much refeeding, the approach in 2011 was let's extend the weeks out. Cause my thought process was I just keep getting better. You know, 2009, I kept getting better every week. So I'm like, Hey, let me just extend the diet out in 2011. Uh, but this time, let's incorporate refeeds and diet breaks. And I got on stage 10 pounds heavier. Mm, wow. And it was kind of unheard of at the time because people were like, wow, Jeff was 38 when he won those pro cards in 2009. And at the age of 40, two years later, he gets on a pro stage, he's 10 pounds heavier. So, of course, everybody's like, two two things came to mind. I was like, oh, he had a great offseason. He put muscle <laughs> on. How did that happen? Or, hey, this guy's maybe taken something he shouldn't be. <laughs> But the truth is the fact that in 2009, you know, up to that point, my diets were very assertive. Like I said, no diet breaks. The rate of loss was pretty fast. So I was basically just eating away at muscle during those preps. 
Um, and then 2011 was like aha moment. Like, okay, if I die a little more slowly, eat a little more food, it just retained a lot more muscle. So I think a combination of maybe, maybe a little bit of muscle gain, probably not a lot in between those, those seasons, but more or less the way the diet, um, like the approach was just a more conservative approach. I retained a lot more muscle. So that was a big difference. Um, so I've kind of learned for me personally through trial and error that, you know, losing at about half a pound a week rate is the most ideal for me. Uh, but like I said, it wasn't linear through this prep. Like I had moments where I actually had to double that rate. So leading up to my first show, the muscle mayhem, uh, it was three DMJ's 10 year anniversary. That was kind of the show where we kind of met and, you know, kind of formed, you know, what we now know as 3DMJ. So I really wanted to be on stage because Eric Helms was prepping. He was going to be doing that show. So I wanted to make it to that show. And I was a little behind. I was like about eight weeks, nine weeks out from that show. Mm. And I was, I knew like if I didn't start to push a little harder that I wasn't going to be able to make it to that show uh, in good enough shape. So I brought Eric Helms on. I'm like, hey, Eric, you know, I want you to keep me accountable. So I was checking into him once a week and we basically doubled the rate of loss. So we were losing at about pound a week. Sometimes we get a little bit more, but more or less was just a pound a week for about eight weeks. Mm -hmm. um, and it felt like prep at that point. Like prior to that, you know, more of a lifestyle, like, you know, it was Monday through Friday, I was dieting pretty hard, but then Saturday, Sunday, I'd get a little more relaxed and eat a little more food, have a glass of wine with my wife or whatever. Um, but that eight week stretch, it was kind of reminiscent of my hardcore days. It was like, okay, we're staying on point and we're grinding through. Um, and yeah, we got to that first show, um, in, in decent enough shape to, to be competitive on stage. And I had a great time, but yeah, that was more or less like the, uh, the rate of loss was like gunning for the half a pound, but there was stints in there where I had to pick the pace up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting. Um, I think it was one of your... Instagram post or something where you were speculating you compared your your stage look this season compared to one of your prior seasons and you made visual progress and you were speculating as to whether you had gained a lot of muscle versus just learned to retain muscle better during prep as well yeah I mean because you factor in like I think a lot of times when we think off season we think okay we're gonna put muscle on then we're gonna increase the stage weight the next yeah. go around but sometimes it's um, like it's more visual because you can, let's say, keep the same body weight. Like for me, for my instance, like I've been 170 each of my last three, seven, three seasons. But each each time I look a little bit bigger and a little bit harder. So I think it's just a combination of, um, you know, maybe you're picking up a little bit of muscle in between seasons. You're getting better at retaining muscle. And I think the longer you train, you know, for whatever reason, um, I don't have any scientific evidence, but as we get older, it seems like our muscles just keep looking denser, like more mature. I don't know if it's like the thinning of the skin or it's just something within the muscle just gets grainier. It's hard. I don't know. Like no one has really been able to tell me, you know, Hey, this is what exactly happens with that. But if you take Jeff of 20 years ago and Jeff of now, um, you know, I look far denser, although the, the, the body weight stage weights really not too much different. Yeah, the thing of the skin, it's because we all uh, get older and discover tilapia. Tilapia, yeah. I, I don't even think I had tilapia once this season. Maybe it was all the canned chicken I ate. <laughs> that was a joke for anyone uh, yeah. wondering. Okay, so 
And then I also wanted to ask, uh, what were your end macros and how does that compare to your off-season macros? Uh, so, yeah, ending like on the last digging phase where I was kind of like at the very lowest, like my calories were anywhere between 1,700 to 1,900. Um, and that would kind of like, I would flex within that, like based on adherence. So if there was days where I felt pretty good, like, you know, I wasn't like over the top hungry. I felt like I could dig a little harder than I would say, okay, let me take it to 1700 today. Yeah. But there was days where it's like, man, I'm ready to, I'm ready to eat my wife here. So I'm like, I'm going to keep my calories at 1900 just to kind of take that edge off. But that's more or less where the, the lowest calories were at. Um, protein, like on average, it was anywhere between 160 to 170 grams. And a lot of people freaked out on that because when I started the prep, like I said, I was like over 200 pounds. I'm like, oh, that's under a gram per pound. But I kind of just look at it like my lean body mass is not 200 pounds, right? So, you know, on stage, I'm 170. So lean mass, I'm probably somewhere in the neighborhood of the high 150s. So protein at, you know, 160, 170, is still about a gram per pound. Um, and then my fats typically are pretty low. And the reason for them being low, like anywhere between 30, 40 grams on most days, sometimes I would go lower for adherence reasons, because when my carbs get a little on the lower side, then yeah, I'm ready to eat my wife, like I said. And it's just some it just triggers binges. Like I know myself pretty well now that if I have low carbs for a string of days, um, adherence isn't the greatest where I know if okay, if I drop my carbs or fats down rather, um, and I have a little more carbs, then I can stick to my diet a little bit better. So that's kind of how the macros were, but the calories, like I said, are very low at the end, 17, 1900. And then now in my off season, they're probably 3,000, 3,500 on most days. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's pretty significant difference and I'm already feeling way better. Here we are like four weeks post-show today and I'm feeling so much better than I was at the end of that prep. Yeah. And then I know you do refeeds. How are you setting those up? So the refeeds, yeah, most of the time they're two a week. Um, I auto-regulated auto-regulated them a lot so like in general it was you know there were stents where it was twice a week um and you know fats would be similar to the low days i keep it on the lower side they would kind of bump up naturally just because more food's coming in but they would rarely the fats would get over 60 grams on a refeed days and carbs were anywhere in the neighborhood of between four to seven hundred and uh protein would be roughly the same it might tick up a little bit just naturally because there's more food um, but yeah, it's a, it's a huge difference four to 700. And I know people are probably like, well, how do you know what, what to do? You know, how, so I look at rate of progress, like, okay, what did I get this week as far as like fat loss, uh, you know, weight loss in general. And if it was slow, then I would err on the side of keeping it smaller on the refeeds. But if I felt terrible, like it was just a week where, you know, just energy level wasn't really great. Let's say performance in the gym wasn't really good. And just in general, it was just very, very fatigued then I would go higher on the refeeds. I would eat more to kind of, you know, basically recharge the batteries a bit. And even if let's say those larger refeeds kind of spike the weight up and you think like, okay, that's going to stall progress a little bit. Then I would just basically say, okay, the next week stretch, you know, instead of five low days, maybe I need to push it out six low days or seven to get the progress I was looking for. But what's important is that I needed like those moments where you're feeling just like, like shit, like you definitely need to recharge your batteries a bit. And with kind of a, a long prep that I had, it gives you those that, that that ability to make that adjustment. Whereas if you have a short timeline, 
and you have to get to a you know a, a, sh a timeline that's really short, like that show date, and you don't have a lot of time, then yeah, it's like no matter if you're feeling good, bad, or average, it's like you have to keep pushing. Um, so sometimes people's end product doesn't look as good on stage because they're just like me back in 2009, you know, just basically being overly assertive. So that's kind of how more or less how my approach to refeeds are. A lot of it was auto-regulated. Um, that eight-week stretch that I talked about earlier where we had to kind of dig a little bit harder, um, then, yeah, I was sticking more or less to like four to 500 grams of carbs. Like, And it was like some, some weeks it was just one refeed a week. Um, you know, to get that rate of progress that Eric and I were looking for. Uh, but that eight-week stretch was, was hard. It wasn't easy, you know. So, again, like if I had more time, like if that show was extended out another four to eight weeks, then I could have been a little bit more um, methodical, you know, with uh, with how I auto-regulated those refeeds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I really want to delve into this because I find this uh, interesting way of how you set up your macros and that when you post your Instagram stories and share your macros, you'll have ranges. And you, I know you just mentioned that you sort of go by how you feel, but how how specifically do you navigate these auto-regulated sort of, re, um, sorry, not, but uh, macro ranges throughout just every day? Because I know for myself, at least on my low days, every day I'm like starving, you know, like, and if I had a macro range, I'd probably always be wanting to go to the higher, to the higher side on low days. Yeah. So the thing is, it's like, there's other things outside of like having calorie range, like food source, like food source can help with satiety. Yeah. Um, you know, where you kind of eat in your day will help with satiety. So there's other, other ways to kind of help curb, you know, the hunger levels. Um, when I coach, like, let's say athletes that are in there, let's say their first prep, I'm not going to give them ranges because like I said, even because let's face it, you know, prep, you're going to be hungry, right? It's like what we're doing is we're in a controlled starve. So you have to expect you're going to be hungry throughout it. So mindset's huge. Like you have to embrace the fact that you're going to be hungry. Like I think if you start having that pessimistic mindset around it where you're getting like, okay, you're trying to find ways to not be hungry, you're just going to end up creating more stress for yourself because you can do all the food manipulation you want, uh, like, you know, changing food source and changing your times. Like, yeah, we want to try those strategies to help. But in the end, you're still going to be hungry and you're spending now a lot of energy throughout your day, food focus and trying to find ways not to be hungry. So sometimes it's better just say, you know what, let's accept it and just move on with the day. Um, but yeah, I mean it's one of those things where you just kind of, you just kind of have to have that mindset to kind of get through it. Um, what was your original question? Cause my mind's like, yeah. Like, so right. Guess, yeah. So I guess in terms of this auto regulation within your Mac, oh, yeah, right. is there a criteria you follow? Like, do you wake up and look at yourself in the mirror and look like gauge how flat you are or how you're any sort of, no, no. It's, it's not that it's not more like less visual. It's more like, okay, how am I feeling and where's my adherence at? And the calorie, it's not like I'm having, let's say, having an athlete sit go, let's say, 1,700 calories is a low, and then it's like 2,200. It's more like, like for me, like I said, it was 17 and 1,900 calories. So we're talking a 200-calorie variance. And if you think about it over four meals, that's, let's say, if you were to go from 17, 19, that's only 50 calories each meal. Like, that's not a lot of calories. Hmm. And it also depends on activity levels, too, yeah. you know, so... 
you know, some people are always going to be very static with their activity. It's going to be kind of dynamic. So also new too, like if I had to do something, let's say with my son, I had to go to the park and play or whatever, then, you know, if I'm feeling hungry, I'm going to have to do all this extra activity, then I can err on the side of going higher on those calories. Um, but I'm not going to let, let's say, just because I'm hungry, dictate, oh, I need 1900 calories is more or less, okay, where's the energy, where are my energy, where's the energy needs at and things like that. And if it's like visually, like I'm looking terrible, then it wouldn't be like, hey, let's eat at 1900. Like, hey, maybe I need a refeed or two, you know, to get the glycogen back up and recharge your batteries, have them looking better. Mm-hmm. So, but again, it's not something that I would recommend to like someone who's prepping for the first time or maybe even the second time. It's more for like people who know their body a little bit better, a little more advanced. Like with some of my athletes that I've prepped two or three times, I'll roll with these ranges versus like having very hard, rigid macros. Like for you, like if we just started prepping together today, I'd probably give you like more rigid numbers to hit versus like giving you these wide ranges because you'd probably just be a big stress ball trying to figure out, okay, when do I eat low? When do I eat high? Yeah. But as, but as you move through time with anything in life, as we get more experience, then we kind of know where our uh, boundaries are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And it's something I definitely want to emphasize with uh, the listeners. It's cool to see as I'm sort of progressing through this journey myself. And this is for this prep, I've been sort of, doing the auto-regulated refeeds similar to you I refeed um, on the weekend and I actually basically go on track and just sort of eat to how I feel and as long as I'm hitting my protein and then hitting my target weight loss for the week and I, I just find this kind of approach is a lot more flexible and sustainable and I sort of want to alert listeners to the fact that as bodybuilders, we don't need to be weighing every single meal on a scale for the rest of our careers and or at least tracking things so rigidly and that uh, at some point you'll you want to be looking for that level of experience experience where you can move away from really strict uh, numbers. Yeah, no doubt. I think, too, it's like it's kind of like where, where you, what, what the goals are, where you're at and, and within that timeline and context. Like sometimes you do need to be a little more rigid, but other times not so much. Like for me right now, um, this week I say, okay, I'm, I'm done tracking. You know, I've been tracking for 14 months. I'm kind of, I'm done with it. But with 30 years of experience, you know, more than 30, I kind of know more or less what a chicken breast looks like, you know? So it's, yeah. it's just kind of depends on, on, you know, the situations. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with kind of what you said there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, going on to the activity, what you were mentioning, uh, what was cardio like for you? So cardio, um, what's interesting is um, cardio in the past has always been kind of like, hey, Jeff, let's jump on this recumbent bike and pedal and keep track of time. Like the intensity level is always kind of the same. Typically, it's like lists. Um, So instead of tracking it through, let's say, calories, I just track the time because the intensity was always the same. So if I need to adjust cardio up or down, I just adjust the time or the number of days I do it. Whereas this prep, I decided to um, track steps instead because it's, you know, it it's an easier and more, um, I guess you could say that uh, as far as quantifying activity level, it's a little more accurate than, than not tracking steps. Because you some days, like deep in a prep too, when like energy levels get low, food levels get low, most people tend to get a little more lethargic 
So overall activity kind of goes down, like just sitting in your chair, like if you have good energy, you got good posture. Um, but yeah, when you're deep in a prep, your food level's low, like your posture may be not as good. So you're not fighting gravity as much. So you're burning less calories. So keeping track of steps was a good way to keep me accountable as far as staying active, especially when food, when I needed, let's say, dig a little harder and get those calories lower. So it was more or less, I, I, it was, you know, a step count, um, through the prep. I did get an injury, a walking injury. Um, I got tibialis, uh, tendonitis, like really severely and I had to stop walking. So I had to go back to my recumbent bike. Um, and the way I kind of equated that was like 30 minutes on a recumbent at the pace I was doing was like equivalent to about four or 5,000 steps. So I would just equate it that way. Uh, so whatever I lost through walking, I just picked up with the bike. Um, but that was kind of like more or less, um, what I did for, for cardio. So it wasn't like, um, I need to burn 400 calories on a, on a treadmill or something like that. It was more or less, let's keep track of steps. Um, so on average, when I first started the prep, it was like, my, my average step counts like three to five, like in the off season. Um, so I had at one point in my prep, that eight week stretch leading up to the first show got as high as 18,000, uh, like six days a week. Okay. Um, and that's what basically killed my shin. Um, and then yeah. after that, yeah, I'd go back to the bike. So on the bike, it would be anywhere between five, six days a week, 45 minutes to an hour each session. Um, that was more or less uh, my cardio, but like no hit cardio or anything like that. Like I'm not a fan of hit just because it's, it's very demand. Not that it's not productive. Like it can be productive, but I think we both know it's like very intense. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's like, it just takes too much energy. So it wipes out my weight training performance. Like I just can't recover from hit and all the weight training and all that. So that's not a really big fan of, of, of hit just for that reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, Coming back to the non-linearity of your prep, sort of when did your macro drops happen and um, how did you uh, gauge those drops? Yeah, what's interesting is that I didn't change my calories through the entire prep for the most part. Like they were anywhere, like I auto-regulated those low days, like I mentioned. So they would be anywhere between 1,700 to 2,000 the entire prep. So, you know, there were stents where there was like maybe some days at 2000, some days at 1700. Um, and really the biggest change, like the biggest thing I was adjusting outside of those, those lower calories was the refeed days. So I would progress well between 1700 to 2000. It was just more or less, when do I refeed? How much do I refeed? Um, so that was like the biggest thing I was adjusting, um, outside of like, okay, when I adjust my overall macros. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of like interesting was that, uh, you know, it stayed fairly linear as far as those, those, uh, those lower day macros through the entire prep towards the end. I did the last 10, like probably two weeks, I should say two weeks, um, there I had the lower calorie days. I kept them more or less, you know, at 2000 I actually started to increase food a little bit heading into worlds. Um, just mm-hmm. so I didn't look as flat and depleted because towards the end of my prep, what I learned looking in hindsight now, this what's beautiful about hindsight is you can see really clear, right? It's 2020 yeah. vision. So now looking in hindsight, like I, that prep was probably about two months too long. Um, the last two months, you know, there were some issues like going to, I went had two Mexico trips, got sick on both of those trips. So it made it hard to train. My body was already in a depleted state. So getting sick really didn't help my cause. So I did notice, like, I looked a little on the flatter side, depleted side, um, the last couple of shows I did. Um, 
so that was, yeah. So that was like one thing I did learn and take from this prep was like, okay, next time around, um, one, let's not have these Mexico trips. Like let's not book two long distance uh, trips back to back about three or four weeks before worlds and let's not diet as long. So what we learned, I think is that when you're in a, a very lean state like that, like the longer you stay in it, like you could, you look good to a point, but then at the longer you're there, it's just really hard to maintain a healthy look because your body is like, it's like in survival mode at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I even had an athlete that, uh, that was prepping, you know, we had similar paths. We kind of started our preps in similar, in a similar way. And we ended up, we both did worlds and the same thing with him, like his earlier shows, he looked a little bit better than he did at the end. Um, so that's something that I think, uh, uh, Eric and I talked about, um, that, uh, yeah, we need to probably make sure that, you know, our athletes are prepping for extensive periods of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you take diet breaks and when were those? It was more auto-regulated. Like I did yeah. like in general, I didn't say, okay, every eight to 10 weeks, let's take a diet break. It was more yeah. or less more auto-regulated. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was more mainly around, like, like I said, in tw- at the end of 2018, it was yeah. a diet break, like, I think like a week and a half, two weeks around the holidays. Um, and then it would be like, you know, other holidays might be a day, two days, three days. I took a diet break after the first show I did in July. That was like a four day diet break. Um, I'm trying to think of when I did another substantive one, let's say it was, might've been after like two or two shows, like a couple of shows down the road. I think I took another, yeah, I was after the NGH pro show that I won in September. Um, I took a little bit of a diet break there, like a two or three day diet break. And that's like, those, those diet breaks weren't like, Hey, let's keep the fats low. It was more or less, Hey, let's have some pizza and chocolate cake. Cause I just yeah. wanted a pro show, you know? Yeah. So some celebrating, so some a decent amount of calories coming in there. And then I would just kind of get back on things like a couple of days later and roll on. So it was more auto-regulated. It wasn't like, you know, kind of like what you hear out there with the science. Hey, you know, every eight to 10 weeks, like with my athletes, it's a little more rigid at times. Like, okay, we're going to take these diet breaks every eight to 10 weeks. But even with my athletes, sometimes it's auto regularly. Like we'll get, you know, in a week eight, nine or 10 of prep. But if things are going really well, like they feel okay, we're progressing really well. They're looking great. Then, hey, let's, let's keep pushing out. You know, we don't need to take the diet break yet. We'll push it out. Um, but yeah, taking them every, every so often is a good idea, you know, just to recharge your batteries, you know, physically it's a good idea, but also mentally, emotionally, it's nice to kind of take a break away from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, the mental aspect really helps a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The mental part of prep is huge. Like in my opinion, it's like, that's where a lot of people have a harder time versus let's say the physicality. I mean, yeah, we're going to be hungry, tired at times, but it's like the mental drain it, it takes on you. Mm-hmm. So yeah. shifting gears a little bit, what did your training look like in terms of your split and volume? Sure. So it, it kind of changed throughout the prep, very dynamic, just based on kind of where I was with, with energy and recovery, aches and pains. But the um, like the, the structure of my training, like the, the foundation, it's, it's upper lower split. Um, so, you know, upper lower off, upper lower two days off. That was kind of the basis of it. And that's still the basis of like, I've been training that way for like 10 years now, just because it's so flexible with life. You know, when you have an upper lower split, you can easily flex it around life. Um, so that was kind of the basis, the foundation. Uh, but what changed a lot with my training, not so much volume, volume, I mean, yeah, volume would change. Like if I was feeling really run down and drained, then I would say, okay, I'm going to go on the low side of volume. 
if I felt really good, you know, good energy, I can do an extra set or two. Hey, let's do it. But the most change that I saw with, with training was exercise selection just because of aches and pains. And I did pick up a couple of the injuries through that prep. I tore my upper pec doing heavy RDLs. Mm. So I had to switch out RDLs to like hyperextensions, you know, uh, Smith machine hip thrust. You know, I had to find other ways to hip hinge outside of RDL and deadlifting just because I had that injury. And of course, having a torn upper pec, then I had to figure out how to train chest um, without tearing my, my chest more. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I can do a, a decline Smith bench, uh, like a pin press to shorten the range of motion. Um, so I was doing that for a while. So the big thing was just like, you know, changing exercises to kind of benefit the stage of prep I was in. So obviously when you have more body fat on you, you're a little more pliable. So early on in the prep, I can get away with the heavy RDLs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't listen to my body well enough in signal and, you know, those warning signs ahead of time. Cause I was feeling a little bit of strain, like in my upper traps and things like that. Like I should have like known at that point, Hey, okay, this is going to be a little crazy. Either one, I need to lo- maybe lower the weight down and go on a higher rep range on this RDL. Um, so it's a little safer because, because, you know, my body fat levels are getting lower leverages were getting not as advantageous so the risk for injury was kind of going up but i was ignoring some of those signs mm-hmm. and i got injured so you know it's trying to stay on top of like modifying training in a way to stay safe because we've become most people not everybody but we become less pliable you know the leaner we get and i think that's you know um, like those heavy deadlift squats those types of things um yeah that that's basically what i kind of threw out there um, probably like halfway through the prep and beyond, like it was just none of those heavy, heavy compounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is something I, I think a lot of lifters struggle with is that when we're dieting, we have trouble with our big heavy lifts and mm-hmm. our egos are so married to those numbers, you know, like you really want to squat and deadlift and you want yeah. to keep up your numbers. And when things start eroding, it's hard to let go. Yeah, I don't know about you, but man, when I get pretty lean, it's like, I don't want to get under a squat bar. It's like, yeah. I it's just like, oh, this feels terrible. And, but yeah, our egos is like, well, we have to squat because the squat is like the king of lower body exercises. Exactly. Like, no, you can do, do a leg press to hit your quads. You can do leg extensions to hit your quads. You can do leg curls. You can do hip thrusts, um, you know, RDL or, or whatever, pull throughs for glutes. Like there's other movements that you could do that are safer you could still get effective volume in there. Um, and then that way you're not injured because the last thing you want to do is like get injured or have aches and pains because that's basically going to erode your physique even more. And then when you get on stage, it's, yeah, you're just not going to look the part. And that's what derailed my prep in 2017, 18 was, was injuries. It was just like, okay, I never made it to the stage. Um, and that was, man, that was uh, eye-opening. You know, I felt like I was a failure, but the failure actually helped me get on stage this year. This is the, that was the reason why I made it uh, in 2019 was because of those failed preps. Mm -hmm. Now, something I wanted to ask was when you make those substitutions, like switching RDLs for, um, you do uh, like glute ham raise type um, exercise. Did you change the volume? Like, did you have to increase the number has to get the same amount of stimulus or was your volume changing throughout prep so before i even answer that like like methodically like think about what it takes to actually see atrophy 
like atrophy would probably happen in what three or four weeks maybe if you stop training altogether so that gives me peace of mind knowing okay if i go from an rdl and now i go to a hyperextension i'm still training the musculature so the only way i'm going to see muscle loss is if i don't train that musculature at all so basically it was like okay three sets of of rdls i want to say let me do three sets of hyperextensions and just make sure that uh you know the intensity is where it needs to be um so that way you're 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 creating stimulus on the muscle so that's how my my mentality was working and of course it's nice when eric helm says hey you know hey you can't do rdl let's go to hyperextension you get reassurance (laughs) from somebody but i already know from past experience that you know, the only way I see atrophy is when I stop training. And that's most people. I mean, we're not going to all of a sudden wither away because we're going from a squat to a leg thrust, a hip thrust, and a leg curl. Like, it's mm-hmm. just just not going to happen. Yeah, I think that's a really good thing for people to keep in mind is that it's harder to lose muscle than you think. Yeah, it takes a lot, actually. Yeah. So, so that just gives me peace of mind. I think a lot, even in the offseason, I'm like, okay just because it's off season and now my food supply is higher doesn't mean I have to go back to RDL. I enjoy doing RDLs, but if I stick to, let's say the same movements from prep and I just, all of a sudden your food level goes up. Like if you held on to all your muscle during prep, like a good chunk of it, even with, let's say the, the exercises that you might've thought might've been suboptimal, but they're really not. But let's just say that was kind of the mentality like think of now okay you're in a depleted state in prep you have lower calories um, your body's in a less pliable state and you're just kind of hanging on by a thread in general come out of prep now all of a sudden food is way up you're gaining you know more body fat now you're becoming more pliable you're even if you stick to the same movements like they're going to be that much more productive just because you have you're now in more of a a surplus versus like a, obviously a deficit so again, it's like, I think people like, they just get like very insecure if they're not doing the quote unquote, what, what the general recommendation is as far as, Hey, the squats, the deadlifts, these big lifts are like the king of exercises. For me, what I'm learning is like, no, you need to do what feels comfortable, what feels safe, what obviously is effective, but, and what you enjoy. Cause if you're doing those three things over time, you're going to be able to sustain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So now I also want to talk a little bit about uh, peaking. So I know you talked about this with Steve and that you actually had different approaches for different shows. And I wanted to ask if now in hindsight, do you have any insights into your, your how your body works for, for that? Man, I, I tried a couple different things like we talked about on Steve's, uh, Steve's podcast. And I think, well, you know, it, it's kind of interesting because you might think something works well for a show. Like you do a show, you're like, okay, that worked great. I peaked well. And then you go into the next show and you try to duplicate it, which I tried to do. And it didn't work the same. It was almost like, why didn't that work like it did a week ago? It, which is interesting. I think a lot of it too is like the lead up to your shows, like depending on like, you know, sometimes you might be doing some hard digging. Maybe you're not, maybe you're eating up into shows. So really like the lead up, I think, can impact as far as how we peak. Um, but it's to me, it's more art than it is, let's say, science. I think a lot of us want to think like, oh, it's it's science. Like there's this special magic formula to it no. and not really. So I've had preps in the past where like I'm going to have like, OK, I'm going to load up heavy on carbs and, you know, do yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, 
yeah, that worked great. And then I've had other peaks where I'm like, you know what? I'm not even going to change anything. I look great a week out. I'm just going to do the same, like keep my, keep my macros the same the entire time, water the same, and just go into a show and just, you know, put some tanner on and pose. And I've looked great that way. Um, so it's just, you know, in general, it's hard to, to kind of say what is like the quote unquote best peaking method. Mm-hmm. And for me over, I've done close to 40 shows now, I think somewhere in there. And I still haven't found like the perfect peak yet, but I will say what's really important. I does think, I do think has a huge impact on how we look is like stress levels. Um, what I've noticed with myself and my athletes is when I'm a little more high strung, um, then yeah, my body just doesn't look as well. It's a little, like little blurred. And I think just like cortisol levels get jacked up. We hold some water up. So I think trying to stay very like poised through the, the that last week heading into a show. Um, like for me, when I travel to shows, I like try to make sure I get there in like two days in advance so I can get like everything situated, the hotel, the food, like get everything just lined up. Um, so that way on Friday, the day before show, I'm just really chilled. You know, I'm going about the day really relaxed. Mm-hmm. I think it does have a, a, a pretty big, um, you know, impact on how we look. Um, but yeah, I tried different things this prep. Like I, I went in with like, okay, let me jack my water up real high. And I, I said, hey, let me cut some water down. And, you know, as I get, that's interesting is I get deeper into my off season. I keep looking back on the photos and trying to assess these, like, still trying to figure out where I peaked well, the things I did. And I keep changing my mind. Like on Steve's show, I said, Hey, I I didn't look as good at worlds. Uh, But now that I got the professional pictures back and study, I'm like, I actually look pretty darn good at worlds. And for worlds, it was the day before the show. I had about 800 grams of carbs. Like I really went heavy on the load. Yeah. My water intake was about two gallons that day. Went a little heavier on the water sodium level. I jacked way up. Um, purposely to try to, you know, make sure I was nice and full. And I picked pretty well. And I actually was like, I actually look better than I thought. Cause I thought worlds, I looked my worst when I was talking with Steve. Um, and like I said, the, like when you look, when you try to assess these peaks too, like if you think about it, you're gauging it off the pictures that you get back or the video you get back. Stage lighting plays a huge role in how we look on stage. And then as far as like camera quality too, who's taking the photos, what kind of cameras do they have? Like all that plays a huge role. So when I look at like some of the earlier shows, like like I peaked really well for guest posing in Washington. Well, the photos I got back there were taken from uh, smartphones. Mm. You know, so I'm gauging the smartphone versus the world's I don't know what kind of cameras they use at Worlds, but they were really high quality cameras. And the lighting was different between those two stages. So it's like, did I really peak better at the guest posing than I did at Worlds or did it? So it's really hard to to say exactly, you know, what method might have been better or not. Because again, it's like you're using, you know, all these different aspects. It's trying to assess it. But I think in general, like every show, I think I, I peaked pretty well and, and the methodology was was very similar um the npc show i did play around with water manipulation a little bit i wanted to i cut water down like my usual intake's about a gallon and a half two gallons a day so i went the day before the npc show i went about three quarters of a gallon somewhere in there so i cut my water way down and i thought i peaked well like oh, i look harder and, and again it's like but i look at worlds i'm like well i look better there and is it is it the pictures I don't know. So it's mm-hmm. hard to say. 
you know exactly i wish mm-hmm. i had a i wish i had a finite answer for everybody on that i just don't yeah exactly yeah i think this is a really interesting sort of little phenomena in bodybuilding because everyone has such strong opinions and a lot of people think there's a real science and they they figured it out and this is, comes to where you you talk about the art of bodybuilding and from what I've seen or my thoughts on the literature, like I don't think we'll ever really understand this physiology to that granularity, you know, like because peaking is such a short period of time and it's going to be virtually impossible to design some sort of study where we actually get that kind of data. And it was interesting. I was listening to a podcast recently with uh, Chris Aceto on it, who mm-hmm. for the listeners is a pretty famous bodybuilding coach. He's key coach Jay Cutler and, bunch of other of the uh, famous guys but uh he was he was talking about how yeah his he peaks people totally different for every show just depending on how they've been looking leading up into it yeah and which ties into sort of your your thought on sort of your state before the show depending on how you should approach it and he he shares a story of one of the uh podcast uh bodybuilders who they were, it was like the day before the show and they were traveling and they show up to some grocery store looking for their usual foods and they couldn't find their usual carb up, whatever, oatmeal probably. And so Chris Aceto just walks over to this bakery and comes out with this massive cinnamon bun and says, eat this. Yeah. <laughs> and they like peaked great and like won the overall or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially like I, um, for one of my shows, like in general, that's kind of my thought process with a lot of my athletes is like leading up. Okay. How are we looking leading up? How do you look around these refeeds? Cause that's pretty important to see if we're having refeeds, are you looking better the day after two days after do you look better before the refeeds? So getting this data collected ahead of time kind of gives me clues as to how to set that peak week up. So in general, I try to keep things very stable and consistent with what an athlete is doing uh you know with that lead up like i try to just maintain that through peak week so there's no like oh crap we did something totally different and all of a sudden you look terrible you know so it's more or less i try to keep things very stable but what's interesting about uh the peaks that i had personally like i remember after the um what show was it it was after one i can't remember what show it was but my wife and i we had we went out and I had pizza and of course pizza super salty and all that. And the next morning I was like, well, shit, why couldn't I look like that last night? You know? So I was like, okay, in my mind, I'm like, okay, was it, was it more carbs from the pizza? Was it the fat? Was it the sodium? Like all these things you're like kind of figuring out. And then I think, okay, what was the lead up into the show? And I'm like, okay, how can I maybe duplicate this? Um, so my wife is always saying, Hey, you look better the night before the next morning, it's happened twice now. Um, why don't you just eat at what you eat post-show, the celebratory meal, and have it before the... So that's basically what I did for Worlds. I'm like, okay, of course, I made the pizza, so it was lower fat, but I made basically pizza Friday night before Worlds. Oh, nice. and, and so in my mind, I was like, okay, I had this pizza the next day, and you know, looking at some of the, the pictures from people's smartphones, like, okay, that didn't work out too well. I don't look that great. But then after seeing the professional shots, I'm like, yeah, I peaked actually pretty damn well. So is it the pizza or was it the lead up? I, yeah, again, it's just like, you, we really don't know. Yeah, but I, I'm very open to 
experimenting because in my mind I'm like that's the only way I'm going to learn more about myself is if I go through some trial and error and that's how I've learned for over 30 years like we can read all the science ahead of time and in theory yeah it makes sense right okay yeah science says to do this then I always look at okay how can I apply that to my situation sometimes it's not practical like you take yeah. something that science says and try to apply it. like that's not practical that makes me more of a stress ball I'd rather do something a little less suboptimal but if it makes me happier and my stress levels are lower then I'm gonna enjoy my journey I'm gonna sustain it more mm-hmm. so that's kind of for me personally like I'm I'm never fearful anymore I, there was a time back in the day where I'd be scared to try things you're like oh shit this might not work mm-hmm. what's the worst that can happen you figure out that it doesn't work so you now know not to do that again yeah and you move on it's kind of like your your kid right like you tell your i tell my son hey don't touch the stove of course i hopefully he doesn't touch the stove. i'm gonna tell him not to but you know sometimes like well here's a better story so my ex-wife right (laughs) yeah so when she was a little girl i remember her dad telling me this story that you know he told her don't touch the candle you know she was like intrigued by the candle Uh she was like like trying to reach and grab it. it's like don't touch that and of course she wasn't going to listen so she touched it and she burned her fingers so even though he was trying to reinforce her hey it's not smart to touch that candle she still touched it anyway but she learned she definitely learned after touching it not to touch it again so to me it's like kind of the same concept you know with bodybuilding or in life like sometimes you just have to go through shit in order to find your own answers and i think a lot of people are just like that's a lot of questions i get on instagram constantly is you know where should my volume be? Do, am I doing too much volume? Am I doing enough? Um, you know, how do how do I peak? Blah blah blah. It's like, how do I know what someone's volume should be ahead of time? So that's kind of what I do as a coach. Like, okay, let me in theory, let me put your volume, you know, in this realm, but it doesn't mean it's going to work out. It might, it might not. But that's basically you have to go through the process, collect your own data, and eventually you find your own answers. Mm-hmm. I'm on a long rant right now, aren't I? Are we still talking about prep? I don't know. <laughs> just, uh, we're just trying to get your homemade pizza recipe now. Oh, that's it. Uh, yeah, well, it's frustrating because they didn't have a Trader Joe's where my Airbnb was. So I had to result to uh, Bobley. And Bobley, let's say they're across the, yeah, it's not as good as Trader Joe's. Maybe that's why I didn't place top five at Worlds. I didn't have the Trader Joe dough. I had to stick with Bobley. It's Bobley's fault why I didn't place top five. Now, just talking about the experimentation thing and learning from your experiences, is there something, what would you do differently in a in a next, in your next season? Do you think, you? I know you mentioned about the length of the prep. Yeah. Yeah, that's, man, it's hard to say because it's, I kind of think like, shit, I'm going to be 49 in June. So by the time I get on stage, I'll be 50. So it's hard to say exactly what I would have to do different. Um, I can look at this, this past prep and learn from some of the mistakes I made. And, you know, the major one was, like I said earlier, not paying attention to those warning signs my body was giving me about those RDLs. Like I knew in advance, like, okay, this shit's getting hard, but I was a little stubborn. Like, it was kind of cool. Like every week I'm going in there doing RDLs, right? You're like, I'm setting these PRs in my prep on RDL. And of course, you know, when you're sharing things like that online, then you get positive reinforcement from people. Oh, that's cool. You know, Hey, keep going. So I need to do a better job of like paying less attention to like 
the the people giving you kudos and more like hey just stay in your lane and you know if your body's telling you to back off back off especially at my age you know as i head into damn the half century mark i'll be 50 pretty soon so yeah that's one thing that i need to do a better job moving forward but yeah i think the big takeaway though is like i mentioned earlier like that prep was just a little too long um so i think uh you know the next time i compete in 2021 i have to kind of make a decision on whether i'm going to make worlds more of the focus um or just hey let's just do some shows for fun because that will change trajectory um because the way the season's set up for WMBF, the world is always in November. The Muscle Mayhem here in Sacramento, California, it's in July. And that's a big, like, I love that show. That's kind of like my home show. Okay. Um, yeah. And so it's like from July to November, such a long, long stretch. So I need to make a decision on whether, you know, my focus is world. If it's worlds and it's, of course, we don't need to prep for 14 months, hey, let's start to prep later on and let's keep my body weight a little bit leaner in the off season because that's one of the reasons why I have such a long timeline for prep is because I have to shed those 33 pounds. So if I can keep myself a little tighter in the off season and not venture, let's say over 195 and maybe take a diet before the diet, like we like to say, um, which just means, hey, let's do a mini cut before the actual prep starts. Um, and take some of that weight off ahead of time, that'll make the timeline a lot shorter. Um, so that's basically the, the big takeaways um, from a prep, um, I think, from a big picture standpoint. That's all for now, guys. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe, give me a five-star rating, and leave me a review. My primary platform is YouTube, so if you'd like to see video content by me, you can find my YouTube channel if you search Ask Dr. Swole. See you next time.